0: The scripture reading tonight is found in Lamentations chapter 3. I wonder how many of our Bibles just automatically fall open to Lamentations because we read this book so much. This is one of those books in the Bible that we often avoid. Now, Lamentations chapter 3 is a long chapter composed of 66 verses, so what I'm going to do is read the first half of it about, verses 1 through 36. Listen to the word of God. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me to dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turns aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction, my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust, there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. That's how far we read from this text this evening. Jeremiah was the last great prophet of the kingdom of Judah. He wrote two books that we have recorded in our Bibles Jeremiah, of course, and this little book called Lamentations. So God inspired the prophet Jeremiah to write this book of lament. Jeremiah had a rough ministry. Can you imagine being the pastor of a congregation for 30 years or longer, and during the entire time, no one repents? In fact, over decades, people become more rebellious, more sinful. That's what Pastor Jeremiah experienced as a prophet who presided over the death of the kingdom of Judah. He preached God's word, he called upon the people to repent. The kings didn't repent, the princes didn't repent, the priests didn't repent, the common people didn't repent. They violated all of God's commandments, and so they became ripe for judgment and exile. Jeremiah predicted that King Nebuchadnezzar would come with his Chaldean armies and that he would assault Jerusalem and take the people captive. For example, when the last king of Judah was on the throne, King Zedekiah, Jeremiah even told him, don't rebel against King Nebuchadnezzar and if he comes here, you better just submit to him. King Zedekiah would not and so Jeremiah lived to see what happened to King Zedekiah. The Babylonians came, they assaulted Jerusalem, they conquered the city, Zedekiah was captured and Chaldeans act in a very terroristic fashion. They're kind of like Hamas. They killed King Zedekiah's sons in front of him with his eyes on yet so he could see, and then they took out his eyes. So Jeremiah lived through that. He lived to see Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of Nebuchadnezzar's army come to Jerusalem and burn the king's palace, Solomon's palace, And then at the same time, the temple of God was destroyed. So Jeremiah saw apocalyptic scenes. Tens of thousands of Israelite men and women dead. And he was left behind with the poorest of the poor. Left behind in Jerusalem to lament. And mourn he did. Well, this is not a very optimistic passage to study as we enter into the new year, we might initially think. But of course, the great good news is that in the midst of this lamentation, we have the marvelous gospel that's found in verses 22 and 23. And tonight, thankfully, we are already saying about God's great faithfulness. The prophet writes the first part of this chapter, very depressed and down, and yet he also in this chapter begins to pin words that are hopeful, words that are fitting for a new year. How can we enter into a new year with confidence and hope, even though trials will come? Well, the answer is that we can enter in as we go through the same sort of journey that Jeremiah did in this chapter. But Jeremiah was very down. He was very depressed. I mean, this is a very, very sad, sad book. Back in chapter 1, verse 16, listen to how he talks. He says, For these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. He talks about how down he is. He says, is, look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, he says in chapter 1, verse 12. He is very down. This morning we were hoping to have a chapel service in prison and Professor Ipema was willing to preach at it, but guess what? It got canceled because the prisons in Illinois went under lockdown. Why did they go under lockdown? Well, fearful that men and women in prison would become suicidal at the end of the year and so there's a suicide watch in the prison today because men and women in prison get depressed and down at the end of another year spent in prison one time I asked the Christian counselor I said what is a good passage to read and go over with someone who's struggling with depression and guess what he said lamentations chapter three that's because In Lamentations 3, we find the depressed thoughts of a depressed saint, but we also find verses 22 and 23, which often, guess what ministers do? They kind of ignore everything else, and they just jump straight to verses 22 and 23 and just preach sermons on them, and you can do that. But those verses that have the gospel are so powerful because they are against the black backdrop of a depressed saint. And those famous verses, they are not laments. In fact, they are verses that encourage us as we enter into a new year. Tonight, the title of this sermon is, Jeremiah Lamenting the Rod of God's Wrath. We'll look at the meaning of that. And then secondly, the remedy for that. And then finally, the significance of it. Jeremiah Laments the rod of God's wrath. And the way he does that is interesting. It's not that he just goes quietly and he talks to God in prayer. No, instead, he composes an entire book, which is meant, yes, to be heard by the saints, inspired by God, so that in these last days we can listen to his lamentations. But also, Jeremiah is writing this. Before the face of God. In Chapter 3 here is the core of the whole book of Lamentations. We find the positive resolution to all his lamentations. We find the sparkling brilliance of God's faithful love in contrast to all the sorrows that Jeremiah is experiencing. It's also interesting to me that Jeremiah wrote this chapter as an acrostic. Kids, you know, when Mother's Day comes, what you can do is you can make an acrostic for your mom. You can take the letters M-O-M or M-O-T-H-E-R, which is how you spell mother, and then you can make a little acrostic. And what you can do is you can have one word standing that starts with M, the next one that starts with O, and so on. And that's what sometimes kids do. Well, Jeremiah writes this chapter in an acrostic. Now, the psalmist had done that. The psalmist, when they lamented way back in the day, had done the same thing. They had written songs in which, for example, the first stanza begins with like the equivalent to an A in the Hebrew alphabet, and then the next one with a B and, and then a C and so on. So that people could remember them. So Jeremiah writes this song of lamentation so that people can memorize it. Now, this song is kind of unique in that what he does is he writes in three line blocks. And in our Bible, each line is a separate verse. So what he does is he picks out the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Aleph, and For us, verses 1, 2, and 3 all begin with an aleph. So it'd be like if you were going to write something and then you made sure that the first three sentences all began with an A. And then what happens is the next word and letter in Hebrew is baith. And so verses 3 or 4, 5, and 6 all begin with a baith. And he does that throughout this whole song. And so he's able to go through the Hebrew alphabet three different times in this song. So what is striking here is that he writes the song of lament, and what's striking to me is that he means for us to be able to memorize it. Now, most of us don't want to memorize depressing laments, but yet Jeremiah assumes God's people will actually want to memorize this lament. Today, every year, Orthodox Jews continue to read chapter 3 in Lamentations. And they do it every year on the date in which they remembered the destruction of Solomon's temple and then later the destruction of Herod's temple. So in this coming year, for example, on August 12 of 2024, in Jewish synagogues they will be reading this chapter. And if you go to the Wailing Wall, you will find that Jews will go to the Wailing Wall and then they will read Lamentations chapter 3. Now, in this chapter, Jeremiah is very, very, very dramatic. We might even say melodramatic. After all, he pictures God like a bear that's ready to jump out and attack him, or like a lion that's about ready to attack him. He's very dramatic. He talks about how God is like a person who has a bow and arrow and is shooting arrows and getting him right in his kidneys. But John Calvin says this, he says, It is not possible sufficiently to set forth the greatness of the sorrow which the faithful feel when terrified by the wrath of God. And we're not taking seriously the reality of what had happened If we think that Jeremiah is like overstating things, like when he implies that you know rivers of water are coming out of his eyes, for example, oh, what horrors he experienced in 586, the armies of the Chaldeans busted through the walls into Jerusalem, and there was wholesale slaughter and devastation. You know, if we were We were struck by what happened with the Hamas breaking out and murdering Jews recently. This was at a whole different level. The Chaldeans murdered tens of thousands of people. They slaughtered pregnant women. King Zedekiah's sons were slaughtered before his eyes, as we mentioned. And what had happened during the siege? Women actually ate their own children. And now there's Jeremiah. He's in a city that is reduced to rubble. I think of northern Gaza right now. Gaza City has been reduced to rubble. Jerusalem was reduced to rubble. And there is Jeremiah in the city. The palace has been destroyed. There is no king on the throne. The throne of David is vacant. And then the great temple is destroyed Not one rock is left upon another. And so the sacrifices are not being offered. Church is canceled. There's no public worship of God. And Jeremiah laments. He says in verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Notice he uses the metaphor of a rod. Remember, In biblical times, when people broke the rules or the laws of the community, they could be beaten with rods. So a judge or the elders in the gate could make a judgment and say, that man deserves to be beaten with rods. And that it was a judicial punishment. You know, God, as he sends the Chaldeans against his covenant people, is exercising a rod of justice and wrath against the reprobate element in Israel, which were the majority at this time. It's a rod of divine wrath. Our God is holy. Can you imagine being in Jeremiah's sandals and realizing what God has done, how he has used the swords of these Chaldeans to kill so many Israelite men and women and children? He has seen men, women, and children dragged off into slavery. Think about like Abraham Lincoln, how he was struck when he went down to New Orleans and he saw these slave markets. It angered him, blew his mind. Jeremiah sees God's people, covenant people being taken as slaves and chains back to Babylon. God's fierce anger had been poured out against the sins of the reprobate element. But do you know in the Bible, the rod is also used to refer to something else, isn't it? It's also a chastening rod. The Bible says don't spare the rod. There it is referred to as the rod that a father uses. And it's not destructive. When my mom used to take the big cutting board that we used to cut bread on and she would give me a spanking, it was meant to be constructive, not destructive. Destructive. And so is the rod of God's chastisement for elect Israel, for the spiritual seed, this was for them a chastisement, not destructive, but constructive, but still a hard and painful chastisement. Why is it that we too can be the objects of God's chastising rod and not his punitively justice rod? Well, the answer is this. Jesus Christ has suffered under the rod of God's righteous wrath and anger. The marvelous doctrine of the atonement, the gospel good news is that Jesus Christ has suffered the punishment that we deserved. God the Father caused him to suffer death. And the terrors of hell. So that for us, God's chastising is constructive and chastising. Yet let's not play down the fact that God can be angry. Do you ever remember when your dad was angry with you for something? You did wrong, and he disciplined you, and he was mad, but he was righteously mad. God is sometimes righteously angry with his people, and that was the case here. And Jeremiah is very aware of it. So he laments that he is being chastised by the rod of God's wrath. He talks about how it's like God is against him. He says that it's like God has brought him into darkness without any light. That's verse 2. He's very depressed. It's like light is a picture of hope, you know, and renewal. With the morning comes the sun, a day, a hopeful day ahead of you. Darkness is a picture of gloom and depression. He says God has brought him into darkness without any light. He also says that God has incarcerated him. Here, Jeremiah, too, is partly speaking as if he embodies all the covenant people. He says in verse 7 He has walled me about so that I cannot escape, He has made my chains heavy. Although Jeremiah is no longer in prison because it was the king of Judah who had incarcerated him earlier, he says it's like that. It's it's figuratively, it's like I'm boxed in, I'm, I'm like incarcerated. And he is very, very aware that God is the one who has brought these judgments and chastisements upon Israel. In verse 37, he asks a rhetorical question. And when you ask a rhetorical question, there is an implied answer. He says, who has spoken and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it. What he's saying is that God is supreme over the calamity of the Chaldean invasion. God is wielding the Babylonians as a rod to bring his judgments upon Israel. God has done this. And then he goes places where I would never want to go. He talks about how God is like his enemy. He says in verse 10 that God is a bear lying in wait for me. Now, isn't that something? You're out hiking or you're camping, and all of a sudden you're you're walking, and all of a sudden there's a bear, and the bear apparently has smelled you coming, smells some food in your pack, and as soon as he sees you, he's going to try to attack you. He says, God is like that. And he says, God is like a lion in hiding. So you're on a safari and you're walking and all of a sudden you find that an African lion has been hiding in the brush. and As you walk by, he's ready to leap on you. That is striking. He is saying, God, he says, has turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. Now that's quite something. Now we might say, well, that's quite harsh to depict God as a lion like that. You know, it's a good thing that God himself had compared himself to a lion. In Amos, God promises to roar from Zion. In Hosea, he says, for I will be unto Ephraim as a lion and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away and none shall rescue him. And he says, God has made me a target. And he's hit me with his arrows. Jeremiah talks about how God has brought him very low. Verse 16, he says, he has made my teeth grind on gravel. And made me cower in ashes. He talks about how he is bereft of peace in verse 17. Yet he has no serenity. He's all worked up. He's all troubled. He's all roiled up. And then he talks about how he and the Israelites are mocked and taunted. Verse 18, or verse 14, he says, I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. And remember, when the Chaldeans had defeated the kingdom of Judah, the Edomites and the Ammonites and the Moabites were all there to celebrate. And remember, the Edomites, even though they were brothers historically, They stood in the way and helped the Chaldeans capture the Jews. And then he comes so low in verse 18, he says, My endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. So he clearly is reaching a low there in verse 18. But the good news is that Jeremiah... Is lamenting before the face of God, and as he laments before the face of God, the Holy Spirit provides a remedy. And we find that in verse 21, we have that word, but again and again in the Psalms of Lament. There is that word, but the adversative, which tells us that suddenly there's a change, there's a contrast going on now. What is the remedy for Jeremiah lamenting the rod of God's wrath? Well, the Holy Spirit provides a remedy. What is a remedy? Well, it's the medicine that your doctor dispenses for you, for your sickness or for your injury. The Holy Spirit provides a remedy. He provides a cure. And you know what the cure is? He works in Jeremiah's heart, so he remembers something. He remembers God's great faithfulness. In verse 21, we read, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He says he calls something to mind. He remembers something. He recalls something. Thinking back to how God had acted in the past, he recalls how God had shown great faithfulness to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to his covenant people throughout so many generations. When we're going through hard times, we can just stop there a minute too and think about how God showed such great faithfulness to so many of our great grandparents, to our grandparents, to our parents, and then as we get older, we can look back through the many decades of our life and say, yes, look how the Lord showed his great faithfulness to me 20 years ago, 10 years ago when I was going through this hard time, now his Memory is used by the Holy Spirit as the handmaid of hope. So he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He remembers what God is like. He remembers God's character. He draws strength from what he remembers. And what does he remember? Well, he remembers God's great faithfulness we come to what is the marvelous gospel portion of our text. It begins in verse 22. He says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here, Jeremiah suddenly is lifted above all of his lamentation and sorrow. And he remembers how God is great in his faithfulness. God is faithful. That means he is committed. He is pledged to keep his covenant with his people. God's not going to abandon us. His father and mother might abandon us. But our heavenly father never will. He is faithful. He is Committed. He will stick with us. And Jeremiah says, His faithfulness is great. Great is His faithfulness. It is immeasurable, it's beyond measuring or reckoning. In fact, His faithfulness is so great that in order to keep His covenant with His people, He sent His only begotten Son the son of his love into this world to suffer for rebels like us. Now, Jeremiah celebrates how God's great faithfulness is shown in especially two different things, in his steadfast love and in his mercies. And what beautiful, beautiful gospel phrases these are for us to hear tonight. As we go into a new year, isn't it amazing that we can say, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'm reminded of a pastor who said one time, when you have a great passage like this, you just want to say it a lot. Don't even bother trying to teach it. Just keep saying it. These are marvelous phrases, and we right away understand what is being said here. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Now, that word steadfast love is an ancient word, an old Hebrew word, which has a long history in the Bible. It's the word hesed. And right here, Jeremiah, as he writes this sentence, he actually places it first, since he's to the point where he's coming to the letter with which hesed begins. And so he starts the line, our, 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 our translation, verse 22, has the word the first, but he just starts it with the word hesed, steadfast love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So that word has the emphasis in the original Hebrew. This word speaks to God's faithful love, his committed love. It's the love like a bridegroom at his wedding as he's making his solemn vows that he is going to be faithful to his bride Every day they should live until they die. Well, that's a committing of oneself to this faithful covenant love. It's an enduring bond. And it's a committed love that will show itself in practical acts of love. It's a word that points to the fact that God is faithful to his covenant. He will keep all of his covenant promises he will send his beloved son into this world who will come to his temple. He will raise up Jesus from the Lion of David. It's a word that speaks of God's promise keeping. He keeps his promises that he's made to the children of the promise. And it never ceases. Jeremiah celebrates the steadfast love of the Lord that is of Jehovah God, the I am who I am. The God who is unchanging in his glory and in his commitment to his covenant, he says, it never ceases. No, because it is a loyal love. That's how some Bibles translate it. Even It's a loyal love. It is a committed love. It's an endless love. It always endures. The Lord Jesus Christ also has that same loyal love for us. He has given himself for us. He has purchased us so that you are not your own. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a church together, as the bride of Christ, we belong to him and he is our committed bridegroom. He will be loyal to us, his bride. Even though in Jeremiah's day for 70 years, at least the sacrifices would cease in the temple. Yet because of God's Loyal love that Christ would come and sacrifice himself and shed his precious blood for our souls. So Jeremiah celebrates God's steadfast love, and that's the same love you and I will experience, beloved, in the new year. A faithful, committed, unending love. And then he celebrates his mercies never come to an end. And that word mercies too, that's an old word you find throughout the Bible. It is a word that refers to how God feels an affection for his people when they're hurting. He pities them. I love how that word comes from a Hebrew root word that is related to a Hebrew root that refers to the womb. So just as a mom pities her little kids. So God pities his children. Of course, the psalmist even picks up on the fact that like a father pities his children, so God pities us. Have you ever seen this before where a kid is outside, a little kid's outside, and they hurt themselves. They fall on their bike or they get hurt in some ways, but they don't cry. And you see them, they go running in the house, they walk in the house, they're not crying, but as soon as they get in the house and they see their mom, or their mom can hear them, they start crying and crying and crying. What's going on there? Well, it's the little child knows that mom pities them and their hurt will kiss their owie. Here we find that God pities us. He pities us. He wants to alleviate our hurt. And he never stops pitying us. He never stops pitying his elect people, the children of the promise, the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Even when they're in Babylon in a far land, he continues to pity them, just like we do with our kids. Dads and moms, have you ever told your kid, yes, it hurts me as much as it hurts you when I have to discipline you? Because your kid does something wrong, and maybe you gave him a little spanking, or maybe you just gave him a pretty strong rebuke. Sometimes we have kids, all you got to do is say, why did you do that? And, and tears flow. Or maybe you had to say a time out. You, you better sit there and think about what you did. But we see our kid hurting. And we feel so bad. Well, God is like that. He chastises us. And yet he still pities us. And notice how Jeremiah says his mercies never come to an end. No, they continue on Forever too, because Christ has earned the divine mercy for us. He has earned for us God the Holy Spirit, who also, remember, loves us so much that he makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. I wonder if almost the best part of this gospel text is found in verse 23, where it says, They are new every morning. I take the they to refer back to the steadfast love and to the mercies mentioned in the previous verse. I ran across a commentator who said, no, the they only refers back to the steadfast love. But the commentator didn't understand that just like the steadfast love of God reveals itself in His action towards us, also His pitying of us, you see, shows itself in His actions to relieve us of our hurt. So the they refers back to both of those things. So what Jeremiah is saying is that God's steadfast love and His mercies are new every morning. We don't have to fear the new year, even though some of us will face trials, some of us will have cancer treatments. But His chesed love and His mercies are new and fresh every morning, just like I can walk to my refrigerator and every morning there is fresh milk fresh from the cow. There are fresh eggs straight from the hen coop. So God's love and mercy is new and always fresh every morning. It is daily renewed. There's a fresh supply. Just like during the wilderness wanderings, every morning, except for on the Sabbath day, the saints would go outside and guess what they would find? Manna. Fresh manna, six days of the week. So we are learning here that there is an inexhaustible supply of love and mercy for God's people. And that's why Thomas Chisholm wrote the song we sang. Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. He also sings in another stanza, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with 10,000 beside, all because of God's great faithfulness. Now, throughout this chapter, Jeremiah has many more encouraging things to say, and if we had more time, we would talk about them. He talks about how God does not willingly afflict us. No, he afflicts us from the heart. He talks about how God's goodness is, is, to those, is shown to those who wait for him. He talks about how God will vindicate his people. He'll even punish the Babylonians, whom he used as a means to punish the people of Judah, but because they sinned and how they acted, God will punish them. All that good news. God is faithful is the point. But we want to know what's the significance of this all. What's the significance of Jeremiah Lamenting the rod of God's wrath. Well, what we want to do in the new year is we want to live corum deo before the face of God, so that when we go through trials, we are prepared. And when trials come, yes, we do flee to God. And we're very open. We bear our hearts, show our emotions. Lament, but lament to the Lord. And then we need to be like Jeremiah too. We need to examine our lives. The danger is that as we get older, we think, well, I have already attained where I should be in the Christian life and we don't see our weaknesses. Jeremiah says in verse 40, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. And in the new year, we must pray Jeremiah says in verse 41, let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. And we must also daily confess our sins. Jeremiah says in verse 42, we have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. So let's confess our sins, but find in the mighty name of Jesus, forgiveness. So that's the first thing. Go to God, bring your sorrows to him. And when we hurt and lament and bring our hurts to the Lord, then by the Spirit we can also move beyond despair to hope as God enables us to recall his great faithfulness. That's what Jeremiah experiences. He says after this, therefore I will hope in him. Because of God's character, his tremendous love for you, his mercies for you. You can have a confident hope in the new year that God will be with you. You can have optimism in this new year, a Christian optimism, because you can have the Christian hope, which is a sure confidence that God will be with you and he will show his great goodness to you. And I'm very struck by how in the book of Lamentations, as Jeremiah is so overwhelmed with sorrow, yet he can celebrate, as he does, God's great faithfulness. That shows us that no matter how much we suffer, how great our pain, how despairing we are, for us too, guess what? There is hope. You can find hope and comfort in the Lord. Isn't it cheering that in times of darkness, when the black clouds seem to cover the heavens, the Lord also shines forth in his great and loyal love? So be encouraged and comforted in the new year. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would uphold us in the new year. Help us to be faithful to you in ways that we have not been in the past. We pray that you would shower us with your compassion as we have hurts and pains and trials in the new year. And we pray that you would be our God and show yourself to be a God who every single morning provides us with fresh mercy and fresh evidences of your committed love. We pray this in Christ's name.